imagine experiencing something so horrific that it changed your life forever? And then finding the grace to forgive the people who orchestrated it? Our guest today tells a story of that kind of amazing grace, and I can't wait for you to hear it for yourself. Hey there, everyone. Welcome to the Teach Them Diligently podcast. I'm Leslie Nunnery, and I am so glad you're here. On today's episode, I'll be chatting with Alex Senjamana. Alex grew up in Rwanda and lived through the civil war in that land. I'll let him share his story, that he experienced things as a boy that we can't even imagine. But God, in his loving grace, reached down and saved Alex, not only from death in Rwanda, but to life eternal. His testimony is one that will challenge your faith and encourage your heart. And I promise you don't want to miss a moment. Before we dive in, though, I want to take just a moment to thank our sponsor for today's episode and one of the ministries that our family has been involved in for years and cannot recommend highly enough. Operation Christmas Child has been reaching millions of children each year with the good news of Jesus Christ through shoebox gifts. Even in the hardest to reach places of the world, churches are being planted and communities are transformed. You can pack a shoebox this year and reach a child with the good news of Jesus. National Collection Week is November 15th through 22nd. To learn more, visit SamaritansPurse.org forward slash OCC. I do hope you'll make Operation Christmas Child a large part of your family's holiday plan. This ministry allows us all to play a role in the work God is doing all around the world. I count it such a privilege to pack those boxes each year. And the impact that that ministry had on my own children's hearts as they were growing up was profound. So you can get more details inside the Teach Them Diligently app. There's a banner at the top of the homepage there. Or go to SamaritansPurse.org forward slash OCC. And I'll leave that link for you in the show notes for today's episodes. But now, won't you join me in welcoming Alex Senjamana to the podcast today? Welcome back, everybody. We are once again this year going to be highlighting and letting some different individuals who have been blessed by gifts, just like your family gives every year through Operation Christmas Child, tell their story. I have been amazed and humbled and excited and I just, I, I can't think of enough words to tell you how, how awesome it is to hear the way that God uses these simple gifts that we and our children can provide to fundamentally change the course of a person's life. And so I want to encourage you to listen today, pull up the other podcasts that we've already done of other stories that are being told, listen to these and share these with your children. The value of them cannot be overstated. So today I want you to join me in welcoming Alex Sinjamana. And if I, if I destroyed your last name, tell me, but Alex is originally from Rwanda and I am so excited to have you here, Alex. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, thank you, Leslie, for having me. It's a, it's an honor to be, and you did perfect on, on Sinjamana. Yeah. <laughs> I, I had a big, a big uh, phonetic written out way to, to try to remind me there. So 
Thank you. Thank you. Well, Alex, can you tell everyone before we dive into your full story, tell us a little bit about your life now, you know, something that just kind of gives us a little context for where you are. And then I want to kind of go back in time and let you tell your story of where you've come from. Yeah. I currently live uh, in uh, Boone, North Carolina, me and my wife, uh, Amy. We've been married for uh, just celebrated our fourth anniversary in April, and we're grateful uh, that the Lord brought us together and uh, grew up in Minnesota in the United States and, uh, and then came to North Carolina about eight years ago. And um, today I get the opportunity to share um, the impact of Operation Christmas Child had on my life. Uh, I, as a spokesperson, uh, going from place to place, from church to church, and uh, encouraging people like our, our wonderful listeners, uh, the power of a simple shoebox gift and what God is doing today. It's, it's just amazing. Like we were talking about earlier, this seems like such a simple thing for families to do, but mm -hmm. the power and the impact that it has in the lives of those who receive it cannot be overstated. So can you take us back in time a little bit and tell us a little bit of, of where you came from and what your life experience was leading into, you know, that moment when, you know, some, someone in the United States impacted your life pretty profoundly. That's, that's right. So I was born and raised in a small country, Rwanda, and Rwanda is found in Central East of Africa. And Rwanda being a, such a tiny country is one, like many other countries, was colonized during uh, the 1800s. And once the colonial time took place, the people of Rwanda were divided in, in tribes. And those were the Hutus, the Tutsis, and the Twa. Now, the Twa uh, represented 1% uh, of the population. And uh, to figure out what tribe you were during that time, they would measure the length of your nose to figure out and they would say, if you're very tall and you're very slim, that means you're a Tutsi. And if you're very short and muscular, that means you're a Hutu. Hmm. So these, these separation, these distinctions uh, created this um, uh, hatred. When the colonies left Rwanda, they left the uh, power to the Hutus who had been, and many of them had been told that the Tutsis were bad people. They were the ones who own a lot of land and uh, they were more well off. And it's just a, it was a way of manipulating the people. Wow. So that hatred had power once the government came on and that continued to grow to the point where a lot of the, the Tutsis actually fled the country back in the 50s and the 60s. And, uh, but in 1994, the big genocide that, uh, that broke out, um, there was a genocide against the, against the Tutsi tribe because these young men and women who grew up believing in this hatred um, some of them just grew up, uh, grew up hating on the Tutsi so much so that their neighbor who was a Tutsi, they did not see them as friends, as, um, as someone valuable. So on April 6, 1994 to July 4th, when the Rwandan president was assassinated, that became the spark to the wow. genocide. Yeah, on the radio, on, on television and newspapers, there was this message, if you are a Hutu, you need to go and, and kill a Tutsi. And that was, uh, that was the message every single morning, every single day. And people had already taken, you know, they were ready with the weapons. And so as a little boy, I remember I was living with my grandmother and my two uncles and my brother and my sister. My mother had passed away when I was very little and I never knew who my father was. 
to the people I looked up to were my grandmother and my uncles. And so that morning on April 6th, we were attacked. Uh, we were attacked on that day and my grandmother was killed. And then it was a week later that these um, militias came actually looking for my uncle and they couldn't find him. They, we had hit him under the bed. So when they were looking everywhere and uh, they were throwing their weapons under the bed, they couldn't get to him because he had pulled himself on the strings of the wow. bed. So they left, but three days later, three men with their weapons came back and said, he's under the bed, let him get out. And up to today, we don't know who told him where he was. And so um, God saved us and he was, our uncle was protecting us because the last words he said was, please do not destroy the house. My kids need a place to live because they were about to uh, destroy the house because he hesitated to come outside a little bit. And so they take his life and me and my brother were just in tears and we're just wondering, why in the world are these people are our neighbors? These are we knew them by name. Wow. We consider them friends. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so we could not fathom that our, our own friends would do this to us. Eventually, the other uncle who was left actually bribed the militias for the following week. When he had no money left, he came to us and told us to run and to go to the city. And so we went to the city, and along the way, God is protecting us. But at this time, I personally did not have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm. So everything, we were just running for our lives. But we get to our aunt's house, and while we lived with our aunt, our aunt um, came up with this idea of uh, protecting people. And because we had about 19 family members who had come from the villages, her and her husband were uh, wonderful. They protected us for, for a long time. But eventually in the city, it got worse as well. And we had to run. We had to pack up and run. And um, uh, one of the times, a, a miracle that I missed out, and I always missed out, is uh, one of the times uh, a man snuck into the backyard and he wanted to, you know, he went to take our lives. And what saved our lives was that his, his weapon didn't load. <laughs> and his magazine actually fell out of the weapon. And, you know, many countless times a guard saved our lives. In the middle of the night, we would sleep under the bed so that we could have an extra cushion on, our, on us just in case something went through the roof. Shrapnels went through the roof. But eventually we started to run. And Rwanda is known as a land of a thousand hills. So we're running and we come into these valleys. And, um, but the, uh, the most moment that God really saved my life, a very humorous way uh, that I always love to share. And uh, I, I carry on the humor of God and what, how he works how powerful he is. I was running and I had this noise coming from a distance and all of a sudden I fell. When I fell, that noise missed my head. Huh. And I looked on the ground. I realized that I had, uh, the bullet was, a, no, the noise was a bullet that missed my head because I had fell in a cow party. What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, right? So I look back and I, I, I look back and I realize what a, what a powerful God we saw. Yeah a God who works in mysterious ways. And for me, I love to carry on the humor of God and see God's humor all over. And I say, look, if he can use that, he can use anything. And so to never underestimate the power of God. Well, and it's so powerful yeah. to hear your stories of very specific ways that God intervened yeah. and directed Amen. in your life, even through unspeakable horror. I mean, I was, 
I was just thinking back. I was in college. I was late. I was about to graduate from college when all of this was going on. I remember hearing about it, but it was, it was noise. It was, it, it, it was just, I had no idea all that went on there behind the scenes. You hear that people are dying and it's heartbreaking and it's terrible, but to actually hear what the experience was. And, and I thought that, that the fact that you noted that hatred had power and how that hatred was what was used to spur people on to commit unimaginable atrocities against their friends and neighbors is something that I think is a lesson for all of us as parents to truly, truly guard our children's hearts and make sure Mm -hmm. that we are helping them understand day in and day out that God created man in him, his image, no matter what that man looks like, no matter Mm -hmm. what that man believes, God created him in his image and hatred and bitterness only leads to tragedy. Absolutely. And when, when, um, and that's what I struggled with. I I struggled with bitterness and anger after Mm. that, because right after that genocide, after we ran and, uh, I, all the miracles that God did, I did not see them as his miracles. It wasn't until uh, year, uh, years later. But after we ran, we were put in this orphanage. So my aunt protected us. She got sick and her husband got sick. And then she put us into this orphanage right before, three months later after we got into the orphanage, she actually passed away. And her husband had passed away not too long after the genocide. And so at this, in this orphanage, we were living with the 250 other kids. All of us lost all of the ones. And it was just a hard time for us. Now, now that we're not running physically, our minds, you know, young children, were, we, we were reliving everything, nightmares after nightmares because of all we had seen. And I remember one of the times that they were in the orphanage to help us process what was, what was going on. They would put all of us kids in the, um, uh, in, in the big room um, and they would give us a piece of paper, so like doing art as a way of therapy. And they would give us this piece of paper and they would say, draw. And many of the kids would draw, you know, weapons. They would draw family members uh, without limbs because that's all the type of image that they had in their minds. And so one day, though, that, uh, there was an, 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 an unimaginable excitement. Hmm. And... It was so exciting when we were told to line up in the yard and they said, today is a special day. You are going to get a gift. So I'm seven years old at this time. You know, we're running and with all of us, we're lining up and they hand out these boxes. Now, these were Operation Christmas Child Shoebox gifts because uh, Samaritan's Purse, the mother organization of Operation Christmas Child, uh, was in Rwanda the moment the borders opened in July of 1994. Wow. The Maryland's Purse was in Rwanda, uh, just like we've seen uh, he, uh, in, in the past year as Samaritan's Purse responded to, uh, to the pandemic and COVID-19, setting up hospitals and responding in Italy, in, in New York and Mississippi and California, all over. In the 1994, the genocide was a disaster happening. So they responded and they're helping, helping people physically. Now, a year later, in 1995, they brought Operation Christmas Child Shoebox gifts to our orphanage, and it was just a beautiful day. We got to open these shoeboxes, all of us together. <laughs> but Leslie, this time, we were screaming with a different kind of screaming. Wow. Yeah, we were not scared. We were not running for our lives, but we were screaming because we could not contain the joy of receiving a gift. 
uh, a gift that we were receiving for the very first time. So now if you're listening, imagine just have this picture in your mind, 250 kids opening shoeboxes gifts for the very first time. Mm. As we look through the shoeboxes and we're seeing school supplies, we're seeing hygiene items, we're seeing uh, these stuffed animals. I specifically remember seeing this item that was one of my favorite. And uh, this item was a hair comb, uh, a hair comb that I had no idea what it was. And, um, but on, as I opened it, I, on one side, uh, it had a little uh, pick. So I'd pick my little Afro that I had at that time. And then on another side, it had a little brush and I would brush my hair. Huh. And I kept that hair comb for the next three years. That's how important those items were. But the orphanage director did something very special. He shared with us about Jesus Christ, the, the greatest gift of all. And the, the shoebox gift from Operation Christmas Child planted that seed of hope and love in my life there and then, even though I did not see it. But it was a year later when I left to Rwanda and I joined a choir. And while I was in Uganda, that's when God started to get a hold of my heart. And uh, I was struggling at this time. I was starting to process even deeper. I was reading the Bible and uh, the Bible said that we are all created in the image of God that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us on the cross, and that he loves all of us, in, and he cares about us. Then I would ask this question, why then with a God who loves us so much so that he would send his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross, watch while a million of his children are being killed mm -hmm. in Rwanda? Why would he take away my grandmother? Why would he take away my uncle? And I was so bitter, I was angry, and I was pointing fingers. And I was missing out on the miracles. And I remember one day, this is a verse. Uh, I want to read a verse that God really used to communicate, um, um, to communicate to me that he cared. And it's a verse in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. Um, it reads that, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans of welfare and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Now, I was nine years old at this time. I did not know who the Israelites were. I did not know who Prophet Jeremiah was, but all I knew was that um, God had to have a plan for my life. And that's when I shifted and realized the miracles. For example, when my grandmother and my uncle killed, I was about a hundred feet. The goal during the genocide against the Tutsi tribe was to wipe out the young generation was to destroy families beginning with the father figure. So they had no reason to spare our lives. When I ran and a bullet missed my head by an inch, when I slipped in a cow party, when five men stood in front of me and my brother and my sister and they argued, let's kill these kids. And one of them would say, no, look at them. There's no one to take care of them. Let's just not waste our energy on these kids. And they would walk away when a man's weapon didn't load. And then when I was in that orphanage, receiving an Operation Christmas Child Shoebox gift, a gift that reminded me that I was loved, a gift that planted that seeds of hope and love of Jesus Christ, a gift that reminded me to be a boy again. You know, that's yeah. something that the genocide was taking away from me. And so I saw God's miracles. And that's when I gave my life to the Lord. But, you know, Leslie, I didn't want him to go deep into my heart because that part of my heart was full of that bitterness and anger. And I wanted to do, at that time, I actually wanted to do exactly the same thing that the people who came my family 
did to my family. And that's, as you tell it, that's the, and I use air quotes here, that's the reasonable response. That's what your every part of your being would have to be screaming out for is revenge mm-hmm. because our heart is desperately wicked. I mean, that's, that's yeah. who we are. And yet even hearing your story of your search and, and you continue to read the Bible, it's hard for us. You know, I, I have four children, they're grown mm-hmm. now, but they, there was never a day in their life when they didn't know the the truths of the Bible. They grew up swimming in it. I mean, we talked about it every single day. And so when you hear a story from someone who who knew nothing, and yet God took this gift, this Bible that he was given, and he made it so precious that you were reading it years later on your own. I guess that my question in that would be, why did you keep reading it? What was What was there that made you keep reading God's word like you did? I kept reading God's word because I was so hungry. Uh, at this time in my life, I was so vulnerable. Mm. Yeah, I was so vulnerable as a nine-year-old uh, little kid that actually God I, I, uh, saved me. Saved me so many times. I tell people God saved me twice because at that time I was so vulnerable that I would have latched on anything that would have brought me hope. Wow! And I was so glad that God brought that shoebox gift to give me that hope to plant that seed. And I was in, when I was in Uganda reading that Bible, I was still vulnerable. And I knew reading that God had a plan for my life. I wanted to find out what else does it say? And it was within about a year period that I actually realized even how the Israelites forgot about the many miracles that God, for the, that God did for them. Uh, from walking in an, on dry land in the middle of the sea, getting food from, from, from heaven, literally food fell from the sky. And when and they forgot all those miracles to the point where they got they made a god out of gold and they started to worship it. So in my life and me forgetting those miracles, I was almost doing the same. So I wanted to figure out what does what is the, the does the Lord say? And you know what also challenged me a lot in my own bitterness and anger is that as I continued to read the Bible, I realized that in Matthew, uh, in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew, it says specifically that forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And I wanted to skip that part of the prayer every time I prayed that prayer. Hmm. But it all started, uh, my healing process started when one of the chaperones, at this time we were traveling the United States. We came uh, to the United States in December of uh, 98 and traveled for two and a half years. And while we were traveling, that's when one of the chaperones came to me and said, Alex, tell me your testimony tell me a story, what happened in your life that you're about to be here today. And mm-hmm. when I shared that testimony and I shared everything with her, she, it helped me process all that. But a powerful question she asked me, she said, Alex, what if you would sit with the person who has caused you the most pain? What would you do? And that lin- launched my prayer for God to help me heal. And so during this journey of praying and God working on my heart to forgive the people who caused me pain, I traveled back to, uh, we finished our tour and traveled back to Rwanda in 2000. And then in 2003, that's when I got adopted into a family. And I came back and lived in Minnesota with my family there and a wonderful family that the Lord really worked in their hearts to, um, as a mother of uh, three at that time, hmm. uh, God called him to be a mother to two more boys. Um, and just God connected us really well. 
and the powerfulness of obeying the Holy Spirit from uh, my mother's heart was quite powerful. But we got to the United States, and while I was in high school, that's when I got introduced to Operation Christmas Child on this side of the story. Huh. Yeah. And I remember student council said, hey, let's pack boxes and let's do Operation Christmas Child. And I remember asking him, what is it? What is Operation <laughs> Christmas Child? <laughs> and they showed me the logo. And I was so excited. I, I, I told, before you know it, I was standing in front of the whole high school telling them about the impact that Operation Christmas Child had on my life. And we caught it to pack boxes. Then it, when I was in college, I, we also did, uh, pack, we did pack shoe boxes as well. And, but all this time that I was packing shoe boxes in high school and college, I knew that a child receives one, the impact that it has on the child. But I did not fully understand the whole big picture and the vision of uh, Operation Christmas Child Samaritan's Purse. Mm. And in 2009, I get to go to a processing center where the boxes are sent uh, to be inspected. And I remember uh, learning about the ministry, learning about the greatest journey, the discipleship program that um, many kids get an opportunity to go through after they receive the boxes. And I learned about how Operation Christmas Child partners with the local church in, uh, in, an, in the country that receive Operation Christmas Child shoe boxes. And I learned about uh, the, the powerfulness of a volunteer network around mm -hmm. the country here in the United States and how many uh, people are going out, um, uh, encouraging their own community to pack Operation Christmas Child shoe box gifts. And I remember being encouraged and I went back to my school and we doubled the number of shoe boxes we're packing because I, I fully understood that the shoe box is truly a gospel opportunity. opportunity. Yeah. And, and I wanted to continue to share that. And that's why I even uh, shared this testimony uh, to really encourage, to, to show the other side, like each and mm -hmm. every Shabbat that has been, ever been packed has been an opportunity for a child to hear about Christ. So then after, after finishing high school in 2013, I moved to North Carolina. And in that year, that, 2013 was a big year. Uh, in my life, because the Lord answered a prayer that I've been praying for a long time. And uh, in that year, I got to travel back to Rwanda with Operation Christmas Child. And Leslie, I had this opportunity to stand in the same place that I stood as a seven-year-old uh, in 2013, handing out a shoebox. Wow. Yeah. And that Isn't was God so good. It, that, is, that is just such an amazing, amazing way that God just shows himself good. To yeah. let you go back and to pass that on is amazing to me. Yeah, it was powerful. It was so beautiful to be able to read and translate the letters that the kids, uh, uh, that the people had packed, uh, had written to the kids. And it was, it was so fun to be able to see the smile, to read the greatest journey uh, for, uh, for the kids, to translate it, uh, to translate while the, the, while the teacher was uh, teaching it. And, but in, on that trip, my, my, um, God took my testimony even further, even deeper, and God took my healing processes at a deeper level because every time I would go back to Rwanda since uh, 2003 when I came to the United States, every time I go back to Rwanda, I would find, I would try to figure out how can I go to the prison to figure out how to figure out if I could meet the people who caused me pain. Huh. Yeah, the government of Rwanda came up with this idea um, doing a tribunal court called Gachacha. And many people who committed crimes were taken out to, the, to their um, original 
villages or where they committed the crimes. And many people in the community, the, the victims, were able to have closure because they would hear testimonies from, this, uh, uh, the, from the people who committed the crimes. And the government was, it, uh, wanted to bring reconciliation between the two. And it was so beautiful of what God did through that process. Wow. Now, there are still, you know, there's still people who, who, live, who are still living in you know, bondage or bitterness, uh, but many of them were able to have that closure. Uh, it's hard to be part of that, but um, I went in 2008, I went to try to be part of that. And the only people who didn't show up was the guy who had killed my grandmother and the guy who had killed my uncle. Oh, goodness. And I was so confused. I was praying because I had prayed, Lord, give me the opportunity to do this. And he took me so far, but didn't make it happen. But, you know, we know very well that we operate on God's timing, not ours. Mm. Yeah. And so on this trip in 2013, I tried again and I went to the prison and found out that the man who I came, my grandmother fled, but the man who I came, my uncle was still there. And now this, this takes a process. It usually takes about three weeks to get all the paperwork and just God opened doors. It was divine appointment when that we were able to get in there in about three hours, get wow. all the permission that we needed. Uh, the person who was actually in charge of the prison system at that time is the one who escorted us to the prison and made the meeting possible. And I find myself seated across from the man who had killed my uncle and I'd be able to ask him, do you remember me? And he would say, no, I don't remember specifically, but I remember three children being there. Mm. And he would say, especially the older girl. The older girl was my sister. In that moment, I'll be in tears. In that moment, I'll be... Uh, just lost inside, but I know in that moment, in my tears and my um, struggling in, in that moment, God was just taking all the bitterness, all the mm -hmm. anger that I had. I had taken the anger um, away, I had forgiven him verbally in my heart, but to be able to see him and tell him that it was um, freeing, uh, was a closure, and we're able to plant the same seeds in his life. Wow. Um, the same seed that were planted in my life as a little boy through that oppression of Christmas child Shubak's gift. We're able to remind him of that as well and to plant that seed. And who knows, we pray that the Lord will continue to bring him closer uh, into a relationship with, with Jesus Christ as well. You know, Leslie, our listeners may be overwhelmed about hearing this and they may be wondering, why do I share this with people? Uh, I share this to uh, show that it is so simple to make a difference in a child's life. Huh. Yeah. An operation Christmas child is an opportunity to do that. We plant the seeds and we let God do the work. And um, for me in my life, that those seeds came as a seven-year-old living that orphanage. And I share this to also challenge um, my fellow brothers and sisters. Who is that person who has caused you the most pain in your life? What if you saw that person today? What would you do? And Christ gave us the freedom when he hung on a cross for us. Uh, that I believe that part of that freedom that we get to have in Jesus Christ is that we don't have to live in bondage anymore. The pain that has been caused us doesn't have to define of who we are, but it's what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Amen. Yeah, and that's the good news. That's the gospel that is taken that is packed with each and every shoebox gift from operation christmas child that is sent um, all over the world 
Amazing. And honestly, as, as you were talking, I've thought so often and really tried to help families understand through sharing these stories on the podcast and on the blog and, and stuff like that, of how powerful our impact can be, how God can use it. But what I had really stopped short of that God really brought to mind as you were telling your story is it would stand to reason, and you can set me right if I'm wrong on this, but it would stand yeah. to reason to me that that Operation Christmas Child could not reach people the way that they do if it weren't for individual families and and groups, churches, schools, uh, co-ops, that sort of thing, actually getting involved. It, it's yeah. not possible to move forward without yeah. us participating in the ministry. So not only is it such a blessing and such a an unbelievable privilege to be able to partner with you guys to do it, yeah. but but you and 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 God actually because of the way this is all set up, God is is expecting He is depending on us to do that. I mean, obviously He works in mysterious ways, but yeah. but but our involvement is truly critical. It would seem. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Our involvement and our partnership with Adventure Christmas Child gives the tools to uh, a pastor, to our local partners in mm. the country that receive Operation Christmas Child because these wonderful men that are called to share the gospel in their own communities, with their own families as well, they, uh, they want to go out. And so Operation Christmas Child uh, um, gives them the tools, equips them, and, uh, and the shoeboxes, they partner together and the shoeboxes are those tools that uh, give an opportunity for that partner to share the gospel, to go into the hard to reach places. Yes. And this cannot happen, as you mentioned, it, it cannot happen without the wonderful families all over the schools, the um, uh, community groups that are packing shoeboxes here. You know, Leslie, since 1993, there has been over 188 million shoeboxes <laughs> packed. Isn't that amazing? Wow. Yeah. But, you know, that, that represents 188 million children who have gotten an opportunity to receive a shoebox gift and hear um, uh, the, the saving power of Jesus Christ. But we want to reach more. Um, we want to reach more. This year, only this in 2020, 2021, we are hoping to reach 9.7 million children. And we cannot do it without the wonderful partners, without the wonderful listeners to who have a heart to pack that gift so that we can send to that child and that child gets an opportunity to hear about Jesus Christ. Wow. Yeah. I mean, there is, there is no excuse for us to feel like we can't do anything. There is no excuse for us to see what's on the news, see images and stuff of suffering and of, of tragedy around the Mm -hmm. world and feel like we're helpless because there is such an easy way to get involved in this massive global ministry. And God uses all different giftings, all different, Mm. we can get, we can participate in the work of the gospel in so many different ways. And that is an amazing, amazing thing. So there truly is no excuse for us not to can you can you give us a little bit of insight as we're kind of winding down here, running out of time? Yeah. How can people get involved? What is what is, what are the ways that they can really yeah. truly get involved in this if they are unfamiliar? Yeah. The simplest way to get involved is that everybody who is listening, everybody in this world can pack an operation Christmas child shoebox gift. And it's as simple as getting uh, a shoebox. Uh, you can even do the one that you, when you buy your new shoes, you can use that shoebox, get that shoebox itself and put in hygiene items, school supplies, toys, 
And, um, and you can also go on our website at samaritanspurs.org slash OCC, and you can find more information on the specifics. But also, you can pack a shoebox online. It's so fun. Uh, you can do that online, and you can choose the items that go. And many of the shoeboxes that are packed online actually go to hard-to-reach places. They are mm-hmm. places that we actually cannot even mention uh, because the Lord uh, is opening doors in, wow. uh, in, in hard places to reach places but definitely the easiest way for a person can pack a shoebox and um, this year we are going to collect the boxes around the country on November um, November 15th through the 22nd is the national collection week this year and uh, so get ready and it's fun you can do with your family we can do with your kids youth group and um, and any small groups you can do that it's a fun way to make a difference in the child's life. Oh, it is. And it is such, I've I've said this in probably every one of the podcasts that we've done, but when my kids were younger, we packed them every year. It was such a, it it was so exciting for them to know that they were packing for a child that was their age. They would pick out stuff that they would want. And Mm -hmm. it honestly, (laughs) it was more real to them than it was to me. I am very sad to say they looked at those children as being friends all around the world. I looked at it as a great discipleship tool and it was both. God used it to, to open my children's eyes to needs. It, it, it gave them from early on a sense of giving and a desire to serve through what they can give. And they still do. They, they put me to shame every day, but I would encourage moms and dads, to look at this opportunity through the eyes of your children and to see the young people that they are sending those to as little Alex's, as little Isabella's, all the other stories that we've told on this, on the show. Um, This is personal. This is impactful. This is powerful. And God is using it all around the world. So Alex, Mm. thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's been an honor and a privilege. Well, it has been truly an honor and a privilege to hear your story and to hear how God has worked in your life. It is it is amazing. And God is such a good and gracious and almighty God. Praise his name. Amen. But for everyone else, thank you all for joining us today. Be sure that you check out the links in the podcast uh, show notes so that you can Know how you can get involved. You can connect with Operation Christmas Child. Get something going within your church, within your co-op, within your neighborhood. Get a bunch of friends together. This is a phenomenal opportunity for you and your family to plug into the life-giving work of the gospel all around the world. And you may never know until eternity exactly how God will use this very simple way that you can get involved and get your children involved. So check out those, get involved, tell everyone that you know to do likewise. Let's flood Operation Christmas Child with boxes from Teach Them Diligently families and their friends this year. And then just pray that God will use them mightily all around the world. Have a wonderful rest of your day. And I look forward to talking to you again real soon. us today. We believe that every family is called to teach them diligently. 
So we're here to help. We would love to get to know you this year at one of our four live Teach Them Diligently events. And then throughout the year, when you become part of the Teach Them Diligently 365 community, check out the notes from today's show for more details about what we discussed today, as well as all of these other resources that Teach Them Diligently has to offer. Have a wonderful day, and I look forward to talking to you again real soon.